Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Anyone here? Good morning. Open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. I want to talk to you today about seasons. Seasons. There's different seasons for different people, and they all have their own beauty. Some people like fall. They love when the leaves change, and, and just not when they fall, but they have the beautiful colors. Oh, look, it's like a Norman Rockwell painting. It says, very beautiful. Some people love summer because they can go to the lake and they can water ski. Some weird people love winter. They love when the roads are slushy and you can't drive. And you're a kid. Most kids love winter. But then when you get grown up enough to have common sense, you don't really, most human beings don't love winter. But some people do. And so today I want to talk to you for a few minutes about seasons. But but not really about physical seasons. I want to talk to you about the seasons of life. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for this day. What a privilege it is to be here. Thank you for all these people who, who braved the cold, braved the snow. They got out in their car and they drove on icy roads. God, I thank you that you kept us all safe and you got us here. Today, Lord, I pray that your word would come to life because that's why we're here, God. We love the community aspect, and we love the singing, and, and love getting to connect with each other, but, but at least for me, God, I came here to hear from you. you know, I didn't come here to, to hear a speech or to hear a bunch of theories. God, I, I came to hear your word and to be changed by your word, and so this morning, I pray that you would illuminate your word, that your word would come to life, and that you'd change us through the only thing that can change us, and that's your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Seasons, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says this, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck what is planted. Flip over to Mark chapter 11, verse 12. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. It says, now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. This is Jesus. Seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he could find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, this is to the tree, let no one eat fruit from you ever again, and his disciples heard it. Now jump down to verse 20. It says, now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree, the same fig tree. They saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore... I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you'll receive them and you'll have them. So, so I want you to understand, we see something interesting here. Jesus is expecting fruit even when it wasn't the season for fruit. So Jesus comes, it's not the season for there to be figs, but he comes to this fig tree and he's expecting there to be figs on a fig tree even though it's not fig season. And, and so either Jesus is crazy and irrational or there's something absolutely significant that we need to learn here. So when you're, when you're in scripture and when you're reading and you come across something and there's, what you, there's a nuance, when there's a difference in the scripture and you see something, little red flags 
are going to start to go off in your head. And you're, you're going to read that, and you're going to go, wait a minute, he's coming. It isn't fig season, but he's looking for figs. Pause there, just for a minute. It's just a little freebie here. This is a little asterisk on the side of my message. When you see something that's different in God's word like that, take a minute and just pause and ask yourself, why, why would Jesus say that? Jesus isn't crazy. We know that. Jesus isn't irrational. We know that. So what it, what's the significance? What is, what's the important thing that we need to understand? Because there's something you need to see here. Ecclesiastes has just said that there is a season, that there is an order to everything. This is what it should be. In the natural order, there should be a sowing, a watering, and a reaping. In the natural order, there's a sowing, there's a watering, and there's a reaping. And each one of those things has its own allotted time. But, but Jesus, while he acknowledges, while he recognizes that there is a natural order to things, he says that there is also a divine order, a heavenly order, a, a non-natural order. Now, now, some of you heard the word supernatural. And, and I think sometimes, uh, like I come out of, I come out of the, I was saved into a Pentecostal church, right? So Pentecostal churches, I have no problem with Pentecostal churches. I've gone to many of them. But I think sometimes in Pentecostal churches, which uh, I'm not even going to get into what Pentecost really means this morning. As time goes on, you'll get to hear lots of messages about that. What does Pentecost really mean? And what does the Holy Spirit really mean? And what does he represent? But, but sometimes in our charismatic slash whatever culture we come out of we hear the word supernatural and we think weird and supernatural doesn't mean like it's not weird supernatural only means this beyond the natural above the natural other than the natural so in jesus there's a there's a natural order the order of all things that there are seasons there's spring summer fall, winter, there's a cycle of life, but in his economy, there's not just a natural order, there's a divine order or a supernatural order, and that his order transcends the natural season. And so the Bible shows us several examples of times where God transcends the seasons or, or goes beyond the seasons. So I want to give you today, if you're taking notes, four ways that God transcends seasons. Number one, God can cut the season short. Now, if you live in Wisconsin in the winter, you pray that God will do that every year. God, I pray that winter will be from December 24th, late, like 11 o'clock-ish, till like December 25th at noon. So my kids have, my kids have seen the snow. Oh, they woke up. Oh, it's beautiful. My son woke up this morning. He, oh my gosh, look at it snowing. Yay. Okay, first put pants on. Number two, this, this great. Okay, let me go back to bed. Hallelujah, there's snow. Close the door. Great. So, you know, so for me, Oh, God, please, would you please make winter, make summer really long. Make summer from like, because mm, we need spring. We kind of need a little rain. I like that. So spring could be from like December 25th, 1201 till about January 1st. Then summer could be from January 1st till like November 
20th. And then we could have fall over Thanksgiving. So you could play the turkey bowl and you can have a few leaves long enough that they leaves, you know, you don't have to rake them up. And that, you know what I'm saying? So for me, I want God to cut some of the season short. And Romans chapter 9 verse 28 says this, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth comes from Isaiah 10 verse 23 that says for the Lord God of hosts will make a determined end in the midst of all the land and so and so today we need to understand how does God transcend seasons first is he can cut some seasons short and for some of you that's great that's perfect you you're living in a season right now where you need that season to be cut short you're without a job and you're praying God I need this jobless season in my life to be cut shorter than it is or your finances are in a wreck and you're praying God I need you to cut this season of my life shorter God can do that he said there right in his word that there are seasons of life that he can transcend the natural order and he can cut them short but number two God can extend the season Joshua verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 12 through 13 tells a story. Many of you know it. It tells a story. In fact, there's a great book that's just been written by a pastor in North Carolina named Stephen Furtick called, the sun, called Sun Stood Still. And this tells the great story of a time when the sun stands still. Here's what it says. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun stands still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, the moon stopped, until the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. If we serve a God who can stop the sun, we serve a God who can, who can stop earth on its axis, I mean, now we know physically that's impossible, right? It's, if you look at biology and if you look at astronomy and if you look at how the earth works and if you look at how the moon goes around and the earth goes around and then the sun just kind of stands there, you know, you look and you go in the physical, anybody who's done seventh grade science knows that in the physical, it is impossible for the sun to stand still or for the earth to stop or for literally for time to stand still and yet history has shown they've gone back they've analyzed and they have realized that in the natural time order of things that when they go back and they they re-record all of the time that has happened 12 hours has happened here and they add it all up in their little uh, here's what they've discovered physically it has been proven that there is about a 24-hour period of time that they can't account for isn't that fascinating it's interesting when you watch the History Channel or when you watch Discovery Channel or, you, you know, you watch, I love these kind of channels where you can learn something. So it justifies being a couch potato. Isn't that what you're looking for? He said, well, I'm not going to do anything today. I'm going to learn. No, we're going to get potato chips and we're going to watch TV. So if we're going to do that, you learn things. And so watch this. And I thought, fascinating that even the scientific community can't debate the fact that the word is true, that there is a, there's a window of time where the sun didn't stand still. We know that, but the, maybe the earth stood still. And it was kind of like, have you ever seen like the Harlem Globetrotters where they, 
when they put the ball. Can you do that? Anybody can spin the ball on your finger. I can't do that. But you spin the ball on your finger. That's kind of what earth did for like 24 hours. It just stood there. It just spun on its axis just to prove that God can do anything. And for, for some of you, you need time to stop. You're, you're trying to fix your marriage, and, and you just need more time. You just say, if I could just have three more weeks, if we could just, if we could just sit down and we can just talk about this, if, if you could just wait just, just for a minute, or you just need hope, and you don't, you don't know where you're going to get hope, you, you just feel like time is closing in, or life is closing in, or the season of your life is starting to close on you and if you could just hold on to just one last hair of hope and you need to know that God can extend your season today whatever season you're in that season of harvest or that season of goodness so for for some of you you need God to cut your season short for some of you you need God to make whatever season it is that you're in you need him to extend that God can transcend the natural order of things. God can transcend the fact that your marriage looks like it's gone. God can transcend the fact that it looks like the sheriff is going to come and he's going to put a lock on your front door. God can, God can extend the season of your life. But here's number three. God can reverse the season. God can reverse the season. Flip over in your Bibles to the book of John chapter 11. John chapter 11. This tells the story, and you've heard it a thousand times. I mean, if you've if you've been to Sunday school, remember we used to have Sunday school. Anybody ever go? Anybody go to Sunday school in your lives? Just, uh, you had that new technology, the felt board gospel. You've seen that before, and big giant board that ever, everything's out of uh, proportion in the felt board gospel. Have you ever noticed that? That you know Jesus is like this tall, and the donkey's like this tall, depending on who cut the pictures out. You might have the really high tech Sunday school where they have the little tack in the arm of Jesus, and Jesus' arm, he does this, and you just go, wow. How do they do that? Just, you know, when you're seven, that's magnificent. And so now we have all this stuff. That was before they had Nintendo and Xbox. We were still marveling at the felt board gospel. So maybe you've heard this story, but it's John chapter 11. It's the story of Lazarus. I want to spend just a little bit of time on this. Now, a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, their brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, him who you love is sick. Now, that's a significant little saying, him who you love, not just some guy, not a guy that you met, not somebody who heard that Jesus is a healer, because because most everybody knew that Jesus was a healer. Most everybody would have been jockeying for Jesus' attention or, or for him, him to be there. And yet they send a message and they say, not just some normal guy, but this Lazarus, this, this guy whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha, significant again. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So now we see that he loves Mary, he loves Martha, and two times we've learned that, that he loves Lazarus. Verse 6, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days more in the place where he was. What? 
That doesn't make any sense. We just heard twice that he loves him. We just heard that he's important to him. The Bible has just indicated that Jesus has a significant place in his heart for this guy. And yet he hears that he's sick and he waits. And for some of you, that should be encouraging to realize that that he doesn't act out of order. That Jesus doesn't come places that he... he, uh, is not welcome. He doesn't come places where he's not needed yet. And sometimes you think he's needed right now. Have you ever had a situation in your life where you feel like Jesus should act right now and so you get frustrated with Jesus? My daughter just told me yesterday she wants to punch God in the face. She told me that yesterday. Can you die for saying that? Is that the unpardonable sin that, you know, the Bible talks about? There's only one sin, and if you do it, you'd never go to heaven. And she's seven, and she lost hope. I want to punch God in the face. That's scary. She's seven and her dog died. And to her, that's the unpardonable sin by God. God doesn't love me. Ooh, have you ever felt like God's done something to you? God's allowed something to happen to you that makes you feel like? Maybe you don't verse it like a seven-year-old and say, I want to punch God in the face. But have you ever gotten mad at God? I've gotten mad at God. I've gotten to a place where I've been so frustrated with God, so don't understand what he's doing. Don't understand why God doesn't work on my clock and on my calendar. Doesn't he know that I know how to run my life? He does, I, I'm in charge of this thing. And yet, yet Jesus waits for two days, verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Jump down to verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he, that's Lazarus, had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, now I'm going to come back on another date, and I'm going to talk about uh, Lazarus and his death. And I'm not even, I'm just going to give you a little teaser. There is a huge significance culturally to the fact that Lazarus was in the grave for four days and not three days, not two days, not five days. You don't get to hear that today. But now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Remember that statement. 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, you ever react like her? Like, you ever get an answer from Jesus? Jesus tells you something, you're tripping, you're freaking out. And Jesus, like this, is, no, 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 this is what's going to happen. But I know. And you react out of what you think. You react out of what you know. And even though God's trying to answer you, even though God's trying to give you a resolve, you're so caught up in what you know. You're so caught up in what you do. And you're so caught up in your history and in, and in the things things that you know that you completely miss the answer that he gives you. Your brother will rise again. I know that he'll rise uh, from the dead in the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's like he's given her an altar call right there. 27. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the son of God, who is to come in the world. And, and when she said these things, she went her way, secretly called Mary her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. Now look at verse 32. Then Mary came where Jesus was and saw him. She fell down at his feet. There's a different 
reaction between the two. And she said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This sounds familiar. It's the exact same thing that her sister had said. Now jump down to verse 38. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him, who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead, again, we hear this, four days. Finally, jump to verse 43. Now, when she had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. God can reverse your season. Doesn't matter what your season is. Doesn't matter what your situation is. Doesn't matter what your problem is. Doesn't matter how long you've been in it. Doesn't matter how much hope seems to be gone. God can reverse your situation. God can take whatever it is you're struggling with. It could be death in the grave. You could have gotten a diagnosis from the doctor and the doctor says, yeah, it's cancer and it's terminal and you've got 13 hours to live. God is able because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same God who can bring Lazarus out of the grave after four days is the same God who will meet you at your point of need. He's the same God who can deliver you from anything that you're in. And you say, oh, it seems like all hope is lost. It seems like I've waited. It seems like my situation's gone. It seems like I'm dead. You need to understand nothing's ever too far. If you can still hear that still small voice, that, that voice of God, God can reverse your season when you're going around and it feels like you're on a dead end trail. God can do a 180 in your life and can absolutely change your season no matter where it is. Number four, God can make a new season. God can make a new season. Acts chapter 3 tells the story of a, of a lame man that's healed at the temple gate. Here's what it says. Verse 1, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. He asks for alms from those who entered the temple. Seeing Peter and John going into the temple, he asked them for alms. Fixing his eyes on him, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting, listen, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Took up by the right hand and he lifted him up and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. So he, the lame man, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Here's this guy who's doing the same thing he's always done. In the same place he's always done. Have you ever felt like you're in a rut? Have you ever felt like you're doing the same thing, spinning your wheels, you got the same scenery, you're driving the same route, you're with the same people doing the same thing, and life just seems redundant, life just seems lost. Here's a guy who's doing the same thing he's always done, particularly in the fact that the thing he's always done is still hopeless. Have you ever done something over and over and over again just because it's routine, even though it's hopeless? 
Have you ever counted on a relationship or counted on a person or trusted in your own ways or went to your own job thinking that that's going to be the breakthrough for you, even though the very thing that you're doing is hopeless? And so he's, he's, he's at the temple gate and he's begging for alms. He's praying to scrape through. And so he comes to the man of God and he asks for his hopelessness. He asks for that little glimmer that's only going to help him survive. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just survive in life. I, I want to thrive in life. I want to strive for something more. I want more than to lay on my back and beg for alms of people who are going to give me charity. And so Peter and John, whom have no money, have more than money. They have hope. They carry with them the same thing that I carry, the same thing that you carry. They carry in them the presence, the spirit, and the hope of God, and they can deliver that to any person that they encounter just as you can, just as I can. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have you can have. Get up and walk. Oh, that's easy to say. It's easy for me to look at you and tell you to get up and walk. It's easy for your husband or for your wife or for your friend to tell you, get over it. Get past your situation and for you to say, don't you even understand? This has been my whole life. I don't know anything other than this. My legs have never worked. My hope has never worked. My prayers have never worked. You feel like you just throw your prayers up in the ceilings like a basement. It's about five and a half feet crawl space and these are your prayers and you're walking around and you can't stretch yourself out and you feel like there's no hope for you silver and gold have I none but the power of God I have get up and walk the natural order for the crippled man was for him to be crippled for the rest of his life the natural order for him was to lay on that ground and beg for alms to be he couldn't even carry himself to the place of hopelessness he had to have someone else carry him to the place of hopelessness and so his family deposits him at the precipice of hopelessness and there he sits and the power of God enters into his life and when the power of God enters into his life he supersedes or transcends the natural order for his life when he experienced the power of God his life enters a new season and when you experience the power of God your life will enter into a new season when you experience who God is in the fullness of who he is I'm not talking about your grandmama's Jesus I'm not talking about the Jesus that you went and you did liturgy and you, you, you went to parochial school and you went and you learned all of the things there is to learn. You can learn everything there is to learn. I guarantee you that guy was a professional cripple. He was a professional beggar. He learned every angle, and he learned the best place to lay, and he learned the time to get there, and if he got there at 7.02 a.m., then he'd lose that spot, but if he got there at 6.59 a.m., the guy with the other ailment, he was too lazy to be there at 6.59, so if I get here at 6.59, then I'll get this spot, and if I get this spot, I'll make 30% more alms than I did four feet away at this spot, because by the the time they get past this guy they've given all their money and by the time they get to me I have no money see he understood the natural order he understood the corners to cut and he understood where he was supposed to do this and and you have figured out your life 
You figured out where you came from. You figured out the fact that you're an alcoholic because your father was an alcoholic and his father was an alcoholic. And so you've determined that that crutch has worked for generations for your family. But you need to realize that there is more than a natural order, that he has called you to be more than a conqueror. Your family was broke, so your father was broke, so you're broke, and you live broke. You don't have to live broke because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, that he has made us more than the natural order. You are more than the sum of your parts. You are the power of God that lives within you. Greater things can you do than these? Jesus, who's not a liar. That, That Jesus, who's not a liar, can look at man and say, you can do greater things than these. Why? Because he understands that there is a divine order. So you look at me today and you say, you know what, Sean, that's fine. That's, that's all great for Joshua. And he's at the battle and he crossed the Jordan and he, he's, he's a great leader, a great man of God and the sun stood still for him. Or, or that's great for Lazarus because he was Jesus' boy. But, you know, I, I don't really know Jesus like Lazarus knew Jesus. I don't really have a Mary and a Martha praying for me like Lazarus did. Or, or that's all good and fine for the lame man that was healed. But, but I don't have a Peter to walk up and touch me and to lift me up. I don't have a great man of hope in my life who's walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and heard the cock crow three times. I didn't, I didn't, I don't have anyone in my life that's, that's fine for them, but, but what about me? How do, how do I experience change? Who, who live right here in Brown County or, or who, who, uh, who I've worked the same job for 27 years and I only got that job because my dad got me the job and, and I've lived in the same house for 34 years or I've had the same 16 friends since middle school and, and uh, if, if I live this life of God, I can't cut away from that. And, and see, here's the thing about preachers. Let me take a little, little side note. We love to say things that sound good from the stage, but don't really translate to life, right? Oh, it's easy for you to say, you know, you, just, you get paid to read the Bible, and you get paid to, pay, paid to pray, and, you know, this is great, and you have all day, and that's all you do is you wake up in the morning, and you chunk, chunk, punch the clock. Well, I'm going to pray from 9 till noon, and then at noon, I'm going to go drink coffee with people, and then when the coffee is gone, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to read my Bible for two hours, and then, you know, go visit some people in the hospital, and then I'll listen to worship music from 4 until 5, and then I'll go home, and I'll be with my family, and we'll do devotions, and then we'll watch the Hallmark Channel all night, and uh, maybe watch a few, I'll listen to a preacher on the radio as I go to bed, and when I put my headphones on, I have my iPod plays the Bible all night, so subconsciously, it gets in my mind, and you go, that's good for you, so you can stand up there, and you, you can make these sweeping statements about, God will supply all your needs according to his, but I have to wake up tomorrow. And I gotta go shovel the snow off my car. And I gotta let it warm up. And I gotta figure out how I'm gonna buy peanut butter today so that my kids can have lunch at school. I gotta figure out how I can pay my mortgage. Life's easy when it's lived from here, it's not always easy when it's lived from there. See, I've lived there. Before I lived here, I lived there. And life isn't lived here. My old pastor guy named Fulton Buntain, he just went to be with the Lord, but he would say, what about the man in the pew? 
How do you experience change? How, how do you experience the, the power of God? It's like chasing the wind, ever elusive. I want to give it to you today before I let you go. Here it is. Keep your eye on the shepherd instead of on the season. If you watch the season, seasons will change. You could be a lover of the winter, but guess what? Someday, Frosty goes home because the winter is going away. Hallelujah. For some of you, you love the summer, and you hold on to it so long, you don't even call fall fall anymore. You call it Indian summer. And so you want the summer so bad, you beg the summer to stay, and you go on vacations. You know what I've learned? I live in San Diego. Do you know what you miss in San Diego? Seasons. Everyone I know who lives in Southern California says this. You know what? I miss the seasons. I miss watching the, the leaves change and the leaves fall. I miss watching that first snow like today that even though you joke about it, it never really gets old. You, uh, I love spring when that first bulb comes open. Oh, a tulip. Spring is here. I love when the groundhog comes. You know, it's, you know what I'm saying. The seasons. And, and for every one of us, we watch the seasons and we gauge our life upon it. But if you do that in the spirit, your life can be ruined. Because God can cut short a season. God can make it longer. God can completely do a U-turn in your life without you asking. Keep your eye on the shepherd rather than on the season. Because he's the only unchanging thing that there is. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Psalm 139, verse 7 through 12 says this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I transcend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Friends, God is in every season. Doesn't matter if you're in a good season right now. He's there, and it's easy to picture him there. When times are going good, and when, oh, I just got a raise, and hallelujah, praise God. But do you praise God when you lose your job? Oh, that's when it gets tough, right? Do you praise God when the sheriff comes a-knocking? He's in every season. He's, he's not just in the good. He's in the bad. And he's standing there with you like a rock, and wind comes, and waves smash, he's still there. He's still standing strong, and he never moves. He never wavers. You might move. You might waver. He never gives up hope, even though you might. He is there in the season because he is the Lord of the season. If God wanted it to be summer right now, we could walk out this door and it'd be 92 degrees and we can all go to the lake. But God doesn't want it to be summer right now. Wants it to be winter. Psalm 23 says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. 
He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forevermore. You know, there's something interesting about the growth of a tree. When all the leaves are gone, the greatest growth is happening. When it seems like that tree is dormant and dead, it's just taking deeper ground. The leaves of spring are not the growth. The leaves of spring are the evidence of the growth that happened when it looked like hope was gone. When all your leaves are gone and it looks like your life is dead and dormant, you need to understand that now is the time to go deeper. Now is not the time to surrender. Now is the time to take the ground because the evidence of the growth it's just a season away. It's just around the corner. So what season are you in today? Are all the leaves gone? Do you feel dead and dormant? Just know that under the surface of your life, not very deep, just under the surface of your life, God is working. Maybe you're in here and you say, Sean, I need the season of my life to change. Coming into a new year. So Father, thank you that you are the God of change. God, nothing is over you or beyond you. And so today I pray, help us. Be real to us. Change us today. Change our situation. Change marriages in this place today. There's some that need fixing, God. I pray that communication lines will open up today in the car ride home or over lunch today that the conversation that's been needed will be had. God, I pray for finances in this place. There's some people, they are so stressed out and Christmas is coming up. They don't even know how they're going to buy a turkey, never mind how they're going to buy presents for their kids. I pray for peace that surpasses understanding. People that need employment, God, bring them jobs. Whatever is the season, pray you change it. We'll love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Listen. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. So uh, turn the music on. Get to know somebody. Be here next week. Pastor Arnie will be here to bring the word.